0: Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news.
1: Hello, friend. It is Angie Austin and friends. The good news gals are here. I'll introduce all of the good news gals in a moment. Also, Carrie Zorno, Uh, she is an author, and uh, she understands how Christ illuminates the darkness, specializing in grief stress and health and wellness. She is a board certified Christian life coach and she's here to talk about Tattooed by Grief, a faith-based approach to healthy, hel- helping youth impacted by loss. Again, it's Tattooed by Grief.
2: So welcome, Carrie. Hello. Wonderful to be here.
1: Then we've got the good news gals who may pipe in with some questions at first. And, boy, we've got a full house today. We've got Cindy, Michelle, Michelle, Beatrice, and Jennifer. We're all uh, Christian businesswomen and authors and speakers. And uh, we hope we bring a little sunshine into your day. We wanted to start, as we normally do, with a good news story. And I thought it really uh, tied in with uh, Carrie's book, Tattooed by Grief. And I think that Michelle Ron, Miss Senior America 2004 speaker, (laughs) uh, who is uh, joining us, uh, recently uh, uh, in Florida where she uh, winters, she's a snowbird but I grabbed her just for a week while she's back uh, and, and you were a music teacher and I love how music can help heal the soul
3: oh I agree it goes deep into the heart the soul and it there are no words for music because it's 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 such a filling of one with Christ
1: and, Michelle, you have, over the years, one of the things you feel is a blessing, which I think would be extremely difficult to do, you feel it's an honor to sing at funerals for Christ.
3: It's my very favoriteest thing to do. It's the time when Jesus and I just simply sit and talk to each other. And I can't tell you how many times at a service that starts the um, The songs have not been given to me because I always pray about them. And usually when I work for a, when I'm singing for a funeral home, it means they don't have a church, which means that that's, God has put me there and what is it that he has me in mind to do? And I pray about what he wants sung and it just comes. And it is, um, it's a, it's the best blessing that I have. I can't wait when I get to home, go home to live with Jesus to meet the people that I've encountered through all the funerals. I love it.
1: All right, Well, right, let's, uh, let's start then talking about uh, music and how it's bringing together a widow and a widower. And I think it's interesting because the woman didn't have much money as a kid, but her family would scrape together the, you know, the pennies, nickels, and dimes every week for her music lesson. Mm-hmm. Take a listen.
3: My parents, they weren't well to do it all, but they did provide a piano lesson once a week. For 75 cents, they were able to do that.
0: Piano lesson. Who knew where they would lead? Very tough. Charlene Mortensen.
3: In the evening when you're alone.
0: Last year, the day after Christmas.
3: It was quite sudden.
0: Charlene lost her Daryl at 81.
2: There were mornings where she would be crying and not wanting to get out of bed.
0: Jody Mayer remembers day one, last spring of assisted living. Her mother entering, then clinging to the wall
1: because I don't want to go in I don't want to go in and it broke all of our hearts
0: 75 cents a week Charlene's parents had paid for those piano lessons sometimes we can't imagine the treasures our investment will yield
1: they've really only known each other about seven months
0: Dwayne Anderson moved into Elder Homestead a few weeks after Charlene it didn't take long for the former high school band director to find her. Dwayne, too, had lost his spouse and more. It's the battle of the bulge. When your hands have been shattered by a World War II mortar, it's hard to play alone. Harder still when you're 92 and you've lost most of your eyesight. And hearing. She
4: actually is my eyes and my ears because if I make a mistake and she catches it she will tell me.
0: Both have known loss then both landed in rooms within feet of each other. We play a little hug a little (laughs) that sort of thing I'm part of her life you know that's important. It is human nature to project the way our lives will someday look. But the key to happiness is finding our way. How soft. When life rearranges the picture.
1: Hmm. What do you think, ladies? They were
3: God-placed. God-placed. god Mm
1: -hmm.
3: God incidents.
1: What a beautiful, like... Mm -hmm thing to do together you know i mean i feel like it should be said more like they play music together and what a bond they have but just (laughs) how cool that they can just sit at the piano and help each other out Mm -hmm. right Mm, right so Beautiful. cute. <laughs> I know, is not it? I it was. Like it. He likes to hog in between the songs. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so And What sweet. was that
3: book put out several years ago called God Winks? Mm-hmm. God Winks. That's yeah. definitely a God that's Wink. That's a God yeah. Wink. Oh, that's a
1: good way to put it's it. Too. I love, love that it. little phrase, right? Yeah, it is. We get those God Winks. They're mm-hmm. so cool.
5: We don't know the things that God is getting ready to do in our lives or the things that he's going to allow us to, you know, to experience and so it's good to be open for those moments because those moments just happen like that
1: mm-hmm. how exciting
5: it mm-hmm. yeah it
1: really is Mm-mm. all right I carrie zorno uh, joining us i mentioned at the top of the show her book is tattooed by grief a faith-based approach to helping youth impacted by loss so talk about carrie uh you know why you wrote the book and what it's about
2: well because of my losses and really they went back to uh, thanksgiving of 2003 My two middle children, Josh and Beth, um, had been diagnosed with cystic fibrosis um, at birth, basically, shortly after. And Beth had spent some time in the hospital, and she said, I I don't want to die suffocating in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And at the age of 17, she realized that was what would happen if she lived a, quote, long, full life. And uh, she asked... um, what can I do and I said, well if you could tell God how you wanted to die what would you tell him and so she said oh I want to die fast and of course her brother Josh chimes in and I want to die doing something fun and I don't want to die alone well Abby and Chris my oldest and my youngest um, so I have girl boy girl boy um, just sat there and just listened well four months later I lost Josh and Beth in a motorcycle accident, mm. oh, wow. and God answered their prayer.
3: Mm.
2: They died fast, Amen. doing something fun, and they didn't die alone.
0: Mm.
2: And so, in through my grief over that, I could see God's faithfulness. It was brutal on us, but it was merciful on them. And. Um, it was about two and a half years later I was feeling myself come out of the fog of grief out of the darkness and and started realizing there was color still in the world um, my youngest son Chris was now 17 and oh, we had gone through all the counselors and everything but he couldn't see a way out mm. being a teenager things what's happening now they feel like that's how it's going to feel forever.
1: Yeah, they don't realize it gets better after high school.
2: Yeah, whether it's joy, oh, I'm going to feel this forever. Oh, it's sadness, I'm going to feel this forever. And it's just moment to moment. And they haven't lived long enough to know things go in waves. And this is just temporary. <laughs> and uh, he took his own life. <sighs> and after that, of course, I went through another very deep, deep time of grief. Um, to the point of feeling like I really, I wanted to give up. Sure. But God wouldn't let me. And one day, I found myself just curled up in bed, realizing, oh, this is how people end up in the mental institutions. And and God said, you have a choice to make. And I had not heard his voice for two and a half years. And I realize now, looking back, that it was because of this white noise Mm. in my life of the grief, of the sorrow, of the pain, and the regrets that I wasn't hearing, though he was always there. And he said, you have a choice to make. You can curl up and you can stay in bed and you can give in, Mm -hmm. or you can swing your feet off of that bed and put them on the floor and do something. So you can tell what I chose And i looked around me and i realized that in that two and a half year period between josh and beth's death and chris's death and between chris's death and when i came out of my fog our little community had not just lost my kids because they were beth was 17 josh was 20 and now chris was 17. they had not just lost my kids But they had lost five other (laughs) friends to suicide, drug overdose, and car accidents. Mm -hmm. And my heart just ached for them. After Josh and Beth, I had led a Bible study with Beth's friends because they had a lot of questions, and so did I. And their questions forced me to get into God's Word to find answers. And we met every week. Mm-hmm. And we talked about those questions, and I gave them the answers from God's Word. Well, now I'm looking at it going, I need to give support to these teenagers mm-hmm. that are in my community that have suffered such loss. I started looking for curriculum. And in 2006, I found nothing. Wow! And I turned and once again to the Lord. Lord, show me where it is, and I'll do it. I'm willing to do it. And he told me, write it. Mm -hmm. And so a week at a time, I'd say, okay, everybody, we're going to meet on Tuesday. And our church gave us permission for a space. And and so that week before, I'd write that week's lesson. And then we'd meet. And then I'd write the next week's lesson, and we'd meet. And we met 10 times. And at the end of that, I had the parent of one of the girls say, you need to write this down. And I said, well, okay. So I wrote down the curriculum, and then I realized that was not really what God wanted. And I redid it as a handbook. And that wasn't really fully what God wanted. Huh. And now it's a resource book. Amen. And that's why I wrote Tattooed by Grief, primarily because our teens, they don't know how to grieve. That's
5: right. That's true.
2: Unfortunately, we have whitewashed it Mm -hmm. as we have lost family members. And grief is not just over the loss of family members. Mm -hmm. It can be over the loss of a job.
5: That's right. A friendship.
2: A a friendship. A home. Absolutely. And so there's many losses that they have, we all have, experienced. So in doing this, I gave people a resource that could help them understand what healthy grief looks like.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Because the way our kids learn is by example. Amen. And this was written for youth pastors, for parents. And every adult that has gotten back with me after having read it said, Oh, I read it because my teens need it. And this was a youth pastor, and he goes, I didn't realize how much
1: I needed it. Right, and working with all those kids. If you're just joining us, Carrie Zorno is talking about her book, Tattooed by Grief, and the loss of three of her four children over the course of just a -a two-and-a-half-year period, uh, a faith-based approach to helping youth impacted by loss. And I think this is really timely because we've been talking this week about— the young man who took his life in Newport Beach and his uh, suicide notes had been put out, and they basically thanked and loved his family, four kids in the family, and uh, how talked about how wonderful they were. But he said the pressures of being a teenager and the pressure that schools put on kids to succeed and to get into college and the right college and the right SAT score and the right grades uh, that he just couldn't handle the pressure anymore, and he kind of his. Um, notes suicide notes were almost like spread around the country They went went viral and kind of uh, a don't pressure your kids so much or parents step back from the the kids aren't us we keep thinking that Mm -hmm. the the children are a representation of us
5: yeah yeah and we've got to stop doing that we've got to let these kids know that they have a life that they're going to have to live and we can't make them into mini me's. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to let them grow, let them be who God has called and created them to be because that's the only place they're going to find their fulfillment. Carrie, I I just want to say to you, God bless Mm. you, girl. God bless you. I am going to be praying for you. Mm-hmm. We are going to pray for you at the end of this show. Thank I'm, you. I'm the prayer. Prayer. <laughs> prayer. Okay. okay prayer warrior. But um you know when it comes to grief and I, I just lost um my high school basketball coach and that that thing tore me up. It really Stare did. Bare, it, she I, was that, a mentor to her. That thing tore me up. I I cried. I cried like a like a freshman. I really did. But how do you tell these kids to just go ahead and grieve. Just go ahead and cry, baby. Go ahead and cry. How do you tell them that?
2: Well, when they understand that feelings will only heal when they're expressed. If you take a feeling and you bury it alive, eventually it will come up, yes. and it comes up ugly in mm-hmm. in anger and deeper pain than it was originally. And so encouraging them to express their grief. It can be in dance. It can be in art. It can be in, in running. Um, it can be in writing.
1: Yeah, it can... Uh it can be in color, like it can be in a journal that you color beautiful mm-hmm. colors. Like grief doesn't have to be just like sitting in a chair talking to a counselor, and grieving can be done, like you said. There's so many creative ways to do it.
3: Mm-hmm. I loved your analogy to with the tattoo. Could you share that a little bit? I think that's really relevant. Yeah.
2: Well, it really traces back. I was walking through my church, and just before service, and there was somebody with a tattoo. And I walked up, and I asked them, why do you have the tattoo? Tell me the story. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And found that behind every, nearly every tattoo, there was a story. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's mm-hmm. true. You're right. Absolutely. Wow.
2: And tat- mm-hmm. grief is invisible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it leaves a mark on our heart.
5: Amen. Amen. Tattooed by grief. That's good. That's, That's real beautiful. good right there.
3: Excellent. How old is your uh, child? I you still have a child oldest. at a home. I
2: do. Okay. I have a 36-year-old daughter. Okay, and she now has a daughter who turns two next week. Oh, fun! Oh, oh your gosh. grandma.
1: Marvel. See, that's also God <laughs> said. You know, you have to stay. You know that you, you. you there was right. a purpose for you, not not to give up. Yes. And now you get to be a grandma, too, and help all these other people who are grieving. And I think in our community, like, we don't know what to do. Michelle, we have been po- we posted the story about the boy's suicide. Yeah. It was said, not just another suicide, because they become that, another suicide. Right. But when we got to read his notes, and I'm glad for a short time they were released, Amen. because it was an eye-opener yes, for was. me.
5: Yes, it mm-hmm. was. It was to, to know what the... The pressure. the teacher, you know, how they just put pressure on these kids and stuff. and I'm still a little bit kind of ticked off about that. I am. I'm like, you need to quit. You need to quit teaching. You I just, am really in, in
3: defense of the teacher. Because she was a
5: teacher. It, yeah. Well,
3: because the teachers are so under pressure that yeah. their scores Understood. have to be great. Understood. Because the money doesn't come in unless they are producing. And so uh. I'm, not, I'm not saying she did the right thing at all. I'm she just or he, saying he didn't, that he didn't those give of, teachers are really under pressure to do things that they normally wouldn't be doing. Yeah. I get I think. that. I get that. And I, I think that children, they can feel when you're being tough with love, though. Yeah. They oh, can tell right. the difference. Exactly. Right. And when you are hard on them, but Absolutely. you do it out of love, they can they can feel that sure. and appreciate that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Love comes well, through. And yes. I, I got a chance to talk to Michelle's daughter, who is uh, you know, a teenager and, uh, and very, very tall. She's very tall. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, she said to me, she was looking forward to going on to high school because she said kids are just so immature. She goes, I get it. I'm tall. so er- And she said some really just interesting things to me that I thought were very mature. She said, you know, everywhere I go, people stare at me. So I try to not get attention on myself. And I always try to look nice. She puts herself together. really. She's really beautiful d- and does very tasteful, light makeup and uh, nicely dressed because she said everyone always stares at me. So I want to make sure that mm-hmm. I, I'm very presentable. And I think that, Michelle, the thing that your family is doing for her Uh, Is we surround these kids with love because they're not always going to get that love. Like the things my son tells me that his kids say to him at school, and it's usually superficial, stupid things, right? But they're not, they're cruel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like when he got a little sore in his lip and they said he had, told everybody he had herpes. Right. And I'm like, does that bother you? He goes, I don't care what they say. I mean, I just hope that we can toughen them up but then offer them the love at home. We have to provide an environment at home for them to be able to come home to where we're not picking on them too, yes. or we're not pressuring them too. We're not demanding too much of them. We're not criticizing them. Their siblings aren't coming down on them. We have to give that environment of love. Again, the book is Tattooed by Grief, a faith-based approach to helping youth impacted By Loss, Carrie with a C, Zorno, C-A-R-I-Z-O-R-N-O. Carrie, do you have a website?
2: Yes, I do. It's CarrieZorno.com.
1: Excellent. All right. Thank you, ladies. We'll be right back. Thank you.
0: The good news of Jesus for you in high-definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com. This is KLTT Commerce
6: City, Denver. YMCA of the Rockies is the place to take your family this spring. It's like a destination vacation in your own backyard. This year at SS Park Center, we have a family mountaineering and backcountry weekend scheduled for March 1st through the 4th. We'll be hosting family snowshoe hikes, backcountry ski meetups, outdoor winter survival trainings, winter ecology hikes, and much more. We'll have guest speakers, excursions for every level of experience, and demos by popular mountaineering equipment brands such as Loa and Montbell. Visit ymcarockies.org for more information. That's ymcarockies.org. Hello, hello, hello. Producer Dave sitting in for Angie Austin today. Um, this is the good news with Angie Austin and friends, and I guess I'm one of the friends now. It feels really good. Uh, anyway, I Angie couldn't make it for this Interview. Uh, we're going to be touching base with our old friend Ankit Shukla. Uh, a few months back, we talked to him about his book, How to Live the Better Life, and him and his friend Dan Severn, who was a professional wrestler. It was a really exciting interview. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was really fun. But Ankit had some has some new stuff coming on the horizon, and we want to talk to him about where he is with his book and how it's going, and and you know how it's improved his life. Hey, how are you doing today, Ankit?
4: I'm doing really good, Dave. How are you?
6: I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for being back on the show. So, uh, why don't you remind our listeners a little bit about uh, what the other book was about, and what you know some of the stuff that you that you kind of taught us in the, in your other book?
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, my last book was called "Don't Live the Good Life, Live the Better Life," and in essence, the title pretty much said everything. Um, you know, my main premise of the book was never settle for good because good has limitations. Always go for better which essentially is limitless. Never limit yourself in your life because you can always go for more. You can always improve. You can always go for that next level no matter where you are in life. So that that was my main essence of my last book, Don't Live the Good Life, Live the Better Life.
6: Yeah, that's awesome, Yeah, I remember the book was uh, one of my favorite parts was the quotes at the back. Some of them were really good, and I thought they were really inspiring. And you wrote those, right? Oh, absolutely. And,
4: you know, that that was actually my favorite part to write. Um, I've always very much enjoyed books of quotes. I just think they provide so much information and inspiration in such a short excerpt that, you know, I've just always enjoyed reading books of quotes, and that's something I definitely wanted to include not only in this writing, but also any further writing that I do from now on. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because that was actually my favorite part to write
6: yeah yeah that was one of the one of our i remember we read a bunch of them over uh in our last segment um but you said um mm-hmm. uh, future writing uh tell us a little bit about what's coming in the horizon and what's what's next for you what's what's the better life for you now
4: oh absolutely i'm continuing to write on my blog and my website um i've actually done several radio interviews since i've had you you were actually my first and i really much appreciated that but um as far as future writing, I'm currently writing a book about my travel nursing experience, which I do as a career. And it's basically about, you know, my experience as a travel nurse, what I learned, the states I visited, what I learned in each state. And just uh, a lot of my experiences, the people I met and what I'm, you know, and kind of bringing to where I am right now.
6: Nice. What do you think you're going to call that?
4: Um, well, the main book, uh, the main title I've been thinking of is, you know, Going Global, The Life of a Traveling Nurse. Nice. <laughs> Pretty catchy, I think.
6: <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you have to let us know when that gets finished so that we can tell our listeners about that one, too. And why don't you tell us a little bit about some of those experiences you're going to be writing about to give us a little, a little uh, preview.
4: Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm hoping this book, you know, gets picked up by a traditional publisher. That would be great. But um, just, you know, how I... I write about how I became, came to be a traveling nurse, what it takes to be a traveling nurse. Um, and I talk about each state that I've visited, from Colorado to California to New Jersey, Texas. And, you know, some of the things I write about, you know, some of the people I met and what I learned from them. For example, a lot of the elderly clients I've worked with, you know, they taught me a lot about life and how I should live each day to the fullest and not wait because you really don't know what the future holds. So that's a major lesson that I learned along the way. One of the biggest things is people is that when I was younger, I was always thinking, okay, someday I'm going to do this, someday I'm going to do that. And what I learned from a lot of my older clientele that I've worked with is, you know, do it now. You know, if you, you know, figure out a way to do it now, if you want to travel, do it now. If you want to do this, you know, do it now because you really don't know what the future holds and you you really don't know how long we're going to be on this earth not to try to get dark. But, (laughs) but, you know, that's one of the biggest things I've learned from my clientele that I've worked with.
6: Yeah, we talk Um, about that a lot on our show, about how you need to, you know, find your place and make sure that you are doing the thing that you're being called to do and make sure that you're out there doing it. Don't just talk about doing it. Telling people about writing a book is not the same as writing a book. And, oh, I mean, it's never too late to start. I mean, that's something that we always talk about. Uh, one of our really good friends here on the show, Beatrice Bruno, the drill sergeant of life, she wanted to be an author when she was 10 years old, and she didn't become an author until she was 53. Oh, wow. So, and that's something that she always, you know, that's one thing she always says, too, is you don't wait. Don't wait for it. Don't wait for it. You don't have to wait until you're 53. However, if you are 53 and it's something you've always thought about, do it. Do it now. Yeah, Yeah,
4: absolutely. You still can. And sometimes I I have that mindset sometimes, you know, oh man, I wish I started this when I was younger. I wish I did this 10 years ago. But you know, you can't go back in time. And, you know, if you still, if it's still something you're passionate about, then do it. I remember as a kid, writing a lot of poetry and always thinking, you know, hey, someday I'm going to be a writer. But really, I didn't focus on that career for, I'd say about 10 plus years. And then, just a few years back, I started getting back into writing, so even though I probably should have started writing a book when I was younger, you know, I started when I did, and really I have no regrets.
5: Yeah,
6: yeah, I was actually talking about that the other day, we went up to the mountains, my <clears throat> My aunt, we spread her ashes, she died a couple years back, but we spread her ashes, it was really cathartic, I think, for my mother-in-law, especially just because they were so close, and she's really been holding on to that for a long time, but I was talking about how I wasted my 20s, basically. I didn't go to college until I was 28 years old. I basically, I feel like I wasted them completely. I have nothing to show for my entire 20s. And sometimes I kind of get down on myself about, oh man, I should have, would have, could have done all these things. I have all these aspirations, all these dreams, all these ideas. And I did nothing for so long. And sometimes I feel like I wasted. But at the same time. I feel like maybe I needed the, that time to lead me to today to where now I actually can accomplish some of those things because I'm way more motivated because I wasted so much time.
4: Oh, absolutely. And I think even though you didn't go to college during that time, I mean, you probably had so many other things that gave you so much life experience and knowledge that made up for it.
6: (laughs) Sure, sure. Actually, that time did make me, when I did finally go to college, I was better at college just because I had so much life experience more than the other people that were in my classes just because... You know, I was twenty-eight years old. I was going to college with nineteen-year-olds, so I knew some things that they didn't, and that helped out I, a lot.
4: Uh, oh, I bet, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but yeah, I really, I'm really looking forward to this uh, next book coming out. I'm hopefully going to be finishing it in the next couple of months, and you know, I'm continuing to promote my last book. I've done a lot of author events. Actually, I got a. Chance to do an author event in one of my in my hometown of Reno, Nevada, since I'm so close by um, for right now, and um, you know, just been doing a lot of other things to promote my first book, and uh, which I hope you know helps and inspires millions of people across the world.
6: Right, I know that it inspired me, and it, it was so easy to read. That's one thing I. I, I really latched on to is not that I'm not a good reader, but sometimes I just want something that's easy to read that's going to still stimulate me. And it was fun and it was easy and it went by so fast as, as the pages just kept turning.
4: Oh, absolutely. And that was one of my goals is that, hey, people can pick up my book and, you know, maybe read it in one sitting or two sittings. And, you know, it's only like 78 pages and larger font and everything. So it's uh you know it's definitely an easy read and that was one of my goals when I was writing it you know is when someone picks it up they're not just completely overwhelmed by it
6: <laughs> sure sure and uh so um when you do think about writing where do these ideas come from like what made you initially think hey you know it'd be really good to tell the story of how i became a traveling nurse and some of my adventures that i've been through as a traveling nurse where did, where did that come from
4: yeah i mean um i think my love of just writing has been around since I was a kid, you know, and, and you know the more and more formal training I got as I got older. Well, I guess mainly through English classes because they're structured how I write, and then just you know life experiences and what I've lived through. I just feel that you know writing them down kind of gives you a concrete piece of um, you know I guess of something concrete to show for it and. You know a way a great way to get your ideas and your stories out there and i just I just always enjoy writing and a lot of times when I start writing, I just keep going and you know my first book I wrote in less than a month, granted, it's not very long, but you know once I started writing it, the ideas just flowed and I just get my ideas from daily living and different experiences and I just like and I just think about, hey, what has my experiences taught me, and how I, can I use my experiences to help? teach and inspire other people and that's what i like to do both in my writing and also in my professional career
6: right right and uh i know this is going to be a little bit more existential but um the idea that of writing a book i'm i'm also writing a book hopefully it'll be done by by the fall um i I write fiction but, um, you know, when I come up with these... If people always ask me where I get my ideas. I have no idea where I get my ideas, honestly. <laughs> I just like to come up with these stories. I come up with the idea, and I just roll with it. But... Um, you're
4: a creative person. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
6: I try, yeah. And that's something that I really focus on in college, and uh, it's one one thing that I really love about my job is I get to... It's right in my wheelhouse. I get to use all this, you know, my personality, and I get to use my creativity to make these shows better, you know? And so... Um. But what do you think, like, somebody asked me this the other day about how I'm writing this book, but it's kind of a dying medium, and do you think that people are still going to be reading books in 10, 15, 20 years, and is it worth it to keep writing them?
4: You know, I think so, because one of the things I learned recently is, you know, when you're writing something, ultimately you're writing it for yourself and to get your ideas out there, whether you have a creative mind or just information you want to share inspiration you want to give to other people. And I think, you know, as long as authors keep writing for themselves and if they gain an audience through it, you know, that's even better. But I I think there always will be people that have a love of reading. Um, I don't think that'll ever go away. And even though maybe people don't read as much paperback, they do read a lot of websites and eBooks. So I think in a way it's always going to be around, um,
6: maybe just not like how how we love it like the i love just sitting there maybe on the back porch with a nice breeze just reading a book and really getting into the story and i feel like that's harder and harder these days
4: oh absolutely with so much going on and you know you know people not you know so many people distracting our attention and everything so i <laughs> absolutely <laughs>
6: Right. I guess that kind of ties back into living the better life, though, and finding those things that give you happiness and finding those things that make you feel whole and just
4: doing them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Dave.
6: <laughs> right on. Well, you got any upcoming events, or is there anything that we should be looking out for for as far as uh, in your world?
4: Um, no current events coming up, just more interviews and um, you know, continuing to write my book. Um, I'm hoping to have again have my next book done within the next couple of months, hopefully by end of summer, early fall. And definitely I'll update you when that's done. Um, I'm currently you know in the process of fixing up my website and fixing up my marketing tool. So I have more definitely online exposure, and I have a lot of people helping me with that now.
6: What was that website again?
4: Um, so the new website is anchorkishicolat dot org. And actually, it has access, and if you go to the blog section, it still has access to my old website, which was the evenbetterlife.com. But yeah, my new website is ankitshukla.org It has access to my Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, personal email, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I'm hoping to improve my online presence and also just my presence in the media in general. So... Hopefully my name will be more and more noticed by a lot of people. Sure, sure. It's important to be
6: online these days.
4: Oh, absolutely. And my my main goal, like I said, is, you know, even like you, you know, you said you were inspired by my book. And, you know, that alone was worth writing it. You know, just knowing that somebody read it and, you know, either felt better about themselves, felt better about where they were going or were were more clear about their goals. You know, that that was my main goal. Certainly. All right. Being a best selling author, selling a lot of books, that's certainly big for me and would definitely be icing on the cake. But in the end I just want I want people to be really inspired by my book and the more people I inspire and help the better.
6: You know, that's funny that you said becoming a best selling author is uh you know, I'm right, I I'm writing a book, too, and it never crossed my mind that I'm going to become a bestselling author. I just kind of want somebody to read it one day. Um, and it's funny because sometimes I feel like uh, I'm writing this for only myself and nobody's ever going to read it. And I saw this interview with James Patterson. Are you familiar with James Patterson?
4: Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of the
6: most prolific American writers of all time. And he still thinks the same thing about himself, and I thought I, I found that very, very fascinating. That somebody as successful and well-known and talented as he is, that he would still have those, you know, those uh, thoughts of self-doubt that would keep him from doing anything. <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> but you know, and it's it's reassuring to me almost to see somebody that popular and that famous and that successful still doubting themselves just because I doubt myself so often.
4: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and it's hard and it's nice to see that, hey, you know, as all successful people at some point doubted themselves but somehow overcame it and I know I go through the same things but I definitely look forward to reading I your book when it's available, please let me know and I would love to get a copy. Sure. I would,
6: you know. sure hopefully have, yeah hopefully i mean i definitely would like to get it get it finished it's it's still taking it takes a lot of work this kind of thing just because uh i have to make it believable it's funny i uh, i don't know if you know this about publishers but they'll ask you if it's fiction or not because if it's outside of the realm of fiction where people won't believe it it has to be true otherwise people won't believe it i think that's crazy like life is can be anything, the you know, nonfiction, can be anything and outrageous and crazy, but the publisher will say, unless this didn't happen, nobody will believe it if it's fiction.
4: Oh, wow. <laughs>
6: so I think that's pretty crazy that uh, that's how crazy life really is, that it can be. I mean, truly, reality is stranger than fiction, so.
4: Oh, absolutely. It sure is. Yeah, just uh, look at the news nowadays. <laughs> so we only got about a
6: minute and a half left why don't you give us uh just your favorite story that you might be writing for your next book maybe something really crazy that happened during your travels
4: um sure i i think well um what kind of what i'm talking about right now is how i met my wife and how we became to be a couple so that's kind of interesting um writing about that right now you know because i met we met while i was a traveling nurse and you know, it was kind of interesting that, hey, we started dating and I was still traveling around the country and we were really a long distance couple for so long. And, you know, how we came to get together, that's something I'm writing right now. And, you know, I guess uh, also writing about various adventures I had, like, you know, climbing my 1st fourteener in Colorado, um, going rafting in Colorado, uh, nice. you know, just various adventures I had across the country.
6: Awesome. Well, I, I'm really looking forward to it and, you know, keep in touch. It's really great to talk to you again, Ankit. And uh, why don't you give us your website again really quick and then tell remind everybody the name of your other old, your book that they can look for on Amazon.
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, my website is ankitshukla.org. That's my full name, ankitshukla.org. And my book, Don't Live the Good Life, Live the Better Life, is available on amazon.com or xlibris.com, x-l-i-b-r-i-s.com. Or actually, you can also click and get a copy of it directly from my website.
6: Awesome! Well, thanks again, Ankit, and thank you all for listening. And go get a copy of Ankit's book, and uh, keep in touch and let us know when that next book comes out. Okay, buddy?
4: Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Dave.
6: Thank you.
1: and arcthrift.org for a location near you if you just want to drop a few things off and do a little shopping. arkdrift.org, shopping with a purpose.
0: I love
1: arc. Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald of Nat Geo Wild fame, and also you probably know him uh, best from his 11 seasons as one of the veterinarians featured on Animal Planet's popular emergency vets and e-vet interns, and he is here to talk about pocket pets. What exactly are pocket pets, Dr. Fitzgerald?
7: Well, if you think of 21% of American homes that have a, have a pet, it have some kind of non-traditional pet. And so I think when we think of non-traditional pets, you know, we think of people that maybe have a snake or have a turtle. But there's a a lot of little mammals out there, too, with pocket pets, you know, that are exotic animals. Uh, Hamsters, uh, gerbils, um, you know, uh, people have rabbits. And, you know, um, now we're coming into the Easter season, so a lot of people, you know, get bunnies as an impulse buy, which isn't so so great. Um, People have have birds, you know, and, and so I think... Uh, a lot of these can can be, you know, really uh, uh, fulfilling and, and stimulating, you know, to, particularly the children who have to have a little responsibility and, and take care of them. Guinea pigs, um, you know, a lot of these make, make, make great pets. And so uh, I, I think if you, if you do decide to get one, we have to do a little bit of, of research and homework and do diligence about that specific one and the requirements that they need. You know, um, guinea pigs need vitamin C. You know, and and so uh, if we have, you know, little uh, pocket pets, we have to be careful about, uh, you know, putting big males together. You know, that will fight and or, or tear each other up. So we have to we have to do some homework. And I think they can be, you know, really great for children to you know to understand you know, the beauty of life and that there's 10 million other forms of life on the planet besides us.
1: Yes, besides us. Okay, so what are some of your favorites? Which ones? You know, a lot of parents, they don't want smell. They don't want to feed, you know, weird. They don't want to feed mice to snakes. I don't want to get crickets for the lizard or whatever. What are some of the, um, I don't know, like more easy pets to care for that, you know, won't guinea be pigs, neglected? Guinea pigs are
7: great. Guinea, they, guinea pigs are great.
1: And they don't smell too bad?
7: No, and they have way more personality than you think. They're, they're, they're clean. They, they keep themselves very clean. Um, You know, you'd laugh, but, you know, rats make a great pet. Mice don't make such a great pet. But, um, you know, the Sprague Dolly rats that were raised, uh, you know, made in Sprague and Dolly's lab in 1934 were raised for their temperament for being docile and and being nice. And, and, uh, you know, it's amazing to me how much personality some of these little animals have. Bunnies. You know, some um, some of the punnies have tremendous personality, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, and rec- recognize their their owner, and can and can be affectionate. So I I think that you know, it's it's uh it's surprising, and and it's, it's amazing about people. We have the capacity to love other species besides ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, not there's I love not that. that do that. You know, they have empathy. Towards other other species, and that's what sets people apart, you know. All right. What
1: about snakes? I'm not a big fan of the the snake. Remember that time uh, that the snake tried to uh, to bite Tom Green when we were doing the morning news? Right. Right. And didn't and one so, squeeze him quite a bit? And you had to like untangle him.
7: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 not their fault, and that's that's what you know that's uh, you know that's their strategy for for you know for protecting themselves mm-hmm. and for uh, obtaining their prey. But, but I think they can be real rewarding as as a pet, you know. And, and um, they're, they're beautiful, you know. And, and you know, if you think of all the different forms that life takes, it's astonishing, you know. And you know, snakes to birds to uh, you know, we, they, they all have this the same life force that we share with them, you know. So um, I, I think it's 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 amazing to me, you know. I see a lot of exotics every day. And I'm I'm constantly amazed how how attached people can get to a guinea pig or to a rabbit or to a snake.
1: Yeah, the snake ones, you know, um, you and I are quite familiar with the problem in the Everglades. A lot of people uh, get pythons and then they've let those pythons go in the Everglades and they've really taken over the environment down there. And, you know, uh, Dr. Kevin, when I was just down there, you know, they, we, they were eating the deer and the bunnies and the small, um, you know, rodents and mammals, and, but now they've moved on to alligators because their food supply is diminishing because they're eating so many of, uh, uh, the small animals that they've changed the environment down there in the Everglades.
7: I was down there in February, uh, you know, looking, looking at alligators and, and trapping snakes and, and, um, a friend of mine put works for the fish and wildlife in florida put 100 radio transmitters in uh in bunnies and in one year he found 8, 88 of the transmitters in python
1: oh
3: my so
7: god. they're making they're making quite an impact on the bunnies and so that you're right i mean when an animal gets out of its normal range you know it's it's never a good thing Whoa. you know and, and you know these invasive species can, can be, you know, really damaging to the, the native environment.
1: Yep. All right, Dr. Kevin, always a pleasure to have you on the
7: show. Thank you so much, No, my thanks for all you do for animals. Thanks for all you do for animals, Angie. Thank you. Always fun. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com.
1: With Lucky Land Sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere.